This is a Federal News Network podcast. Welcome to Ask the Chief Information Officer on Federal News Network. Now your host, Jason Miller. My guest today is Keith Jones, the State Department's CIO, or should I say, Keith, the former CIO of the State Department, since you have uh, recently left your your position. Uh, Keith, thanks so much for taking the time to join me. Oh, thanks a lot. Really appreciate it, Jason. Certainly opportunity to uh, chat with you and something that's probably uh, overdue since we were supposed to chat earlier and didn't have that opportunity to do so. Well, no worries on that. I know uh, there's a lot of demands on your time, and I got to see you speak several times, so there's always plenty to talk about. So I want to start with the fact that a lot of people maybe would say, well, Keith's retiring from government, but in fact, it's more like you're leaving because in some ways you've already retired from government. So maybe talk about your decision to leave and and what comes next for you. That's certainly true. Uh, Even at my going away, folks reference retiring, and I say, well, I've already kind of like retired. So really, it's kind of like a balancing act. And coming back into government from being retired is really a a personal sacrifice of taking on the position. Uh, I think when I reflect back on getting the call from the administration asking if I would take an interest in a position and not necessarily knowing which position it would be, uh, and it turns out to be the State Department CIO position. You know, it's kind of like a calling. And given my career, you know, over 38 years now affiliated with public service, you know, it is, it, and it was really something that I can just reflect on just coming up from this kid born out of central Los Angeles and working his way through all the trials and tribulations and the successes, the peaks, the valleys, and everything. And really having the opportunity to come to such a high level uh, cabinet uh, department was really something that, you know, you you can't really turn down. And and at the same time, when you start looking at, so why why do you leave at this point? I mean, a lot of it is certainly was personal sacrifices on my end as a retiree. Sometimes you don't quite get the, the benefits that you would normally get as someone coming in from the outside from private sector. So as a retiree, you get the same uh, more or less pension plus whatever salary differential is that's left of you. And for me, that wasn't much, but certainly it did not lessen my contributions to mission, my dedication and focus to mission and the team. But at the end of the day, I think it's really organizational culture. I come from uh, out of DLJ and then DHS, where culture is a lot different, a lot flatter, less bureaucracy uh, in place. And, you know, with bureaucracy and layers upon layers of bureaucracy, in particular in the IT realm of things, it really becomes challenging over time to really get things done. I mean, I I feel we accomplish a lot of different things, but at, at what cost did we have to really, you know, set aside in order to get things done? And so that, as well as culture, which really, you know, I worked on at the department uh, with my RM team, really binding them together, how, how culture really w- within IRM changing that culture. But at the same time, culture remains the biggest obstacle that the IRM Bureau faces across the department. In particular, when you start looking at the bifurcation of cybersecurity in the department, where, you know, underlying turf wars with diplomatic security 
as well within the IRM Bureau, you know, where DS is where this is the traditional way we've done cybersecurity. This is how tradition has diplomatic security operating cybersecurity. And my predecessor faced the same challenge where, you know, as CIO, they're quick to say that you are responsible for cybersecurity, but at the end of the day, the CIO does not have the authority for cybersecurity that you really need in order to be successful, especially in the current state of uh, IT across the federal government. So, you know, therefore, you know, pre pretty much the CIO is, you know, put on the spot on various, you know, occasions, but you don't have the authority to say, hey, I don't want this appliance, or I want this appliance on, on network, this, that, and the other. How do we fight these fights? You know, adversarial attacks, you know, ongoing every day, you know, and everyone, there's no secret. Everyone knows that Department of State is one of the most, you know, attacked departments across the federal government. And, and so while the fighting and continues, you know, with the adversary, there are things that can run a lot smoother within the department from a cybersecurity standpoint. So, you know, and, and then I think lastly, a culture at state that really says one thing about embracing leadership and, and with respect to diversity, equity, and inclusion, and particularly at the most senior levels of the department, I think that needs to continue to be worked on where, you know, the secretary really has significant goals around that. We certainly worked on it within uh, IRM, I think my entire front office team is reflective of uh, DEIA initiatives, whereas when you look across uh, the most senior levels of the department, you don't quite see that. You know, you hear, it's kind of like you get the lip service, but is it really being executed? So I, I think in the long run, great department, great mission, folks that I've met at the department, you know, in headquarters and around the world, just really some of the best folks that you can come across. But it, the IRM Bureau has a difficult challenge. And then when you talk to both the foreign service specialists and the uh, civil servants there within the Bureau, you understand why the Bureau has had, you know, its challenges over the years. But, you know, I think I leave them in a good place where they're on the right track to achieve a lot of great things down the line, especially this Evolve acquisition and, and really rebranding the directorate to make it more modern. I mean, the IRM Bureau, who talks about the IRM Bureau these days, you know, in terms of IRM, really, you know, rebranding that organization to organization, diplomatic technology, and, and also just getting this reorg done that's been underway for like years. And, you know, I, I leave them at the brink of all they require is one or two signatures and the reorganization is done. And so it's the mapping of all the positions that was required and the addressing of all the questions, meeting every single, meeting and conquering every single obstacle you had, all that we overcame. And so they are very much in position to really start to embrace modern technology and modern approaches to how you deliver technology across the department. All right, so there's a, so much to dig out of that. So let me just maybe take a half a step back. It sounds like you're leaving for a couple of reasons. First of all, 
about 18 months in the CIO's job is a long time for anybody. We know that it's it's a it's one of those jobs that is, is definitely six and a half days a week, 12 to 14 hours a day. And then the second piece is you feel like you, you've made some good progress, but maybe it's time to pass the baton to somebody else. So it sounds like there's a combination of reasons why you decided this was the right time. Oh, yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think there's no right time. I think for myself, even going in and, and knowing what the commitment would be, I knew there was no way I would go an entire term, uh, much less whether it would be two, but things happen and, and really make you start thinking otherwise, you know, and, and saying, you know, maybe it is time for me to head back to uh, private sector. And, you know, it'd be one thing if I was leaving the department in a bad way, it, that would be kind of like shame on me. Uh, but the fact that the position that I'm leaving uh, this organization in, they, they are very much set up for success. And then for just looking forward a little bit, because there's a lot to dig out of, of what you said in the beginning here, but uh, do you know what comes next? Are you going back to industry? Do you, are you going to just retire, call it a career? What, what, what plans do you have besides hopefully some relaxation? Well, yeah, I was going to say, so as I'm talking to you, you know, I'm, I'm packed, I've packed my bags. And I think by the time this interviews, I'll be somewhere in Florida with my uh, feet propped up, having a nice drink or so, but uh, yeah, I'll spend some time away, uh, probably in the next uh, 30 to 45 days away, and then come back kind of like uh, beginning of August, go back into the consulting role, but in a different way, just the really high level consulting things that I like to get into from a strategic and advisory uh, standpoint. And really, you know, I, I enjoy mentoring. I, I have a kid that I've been mentoring over the last four years who just graduated from college and, you know, he comes and tells me, Hey, you know, Mr. Keith, I, I think I know what I'd like to do for my first year out. I was like, what's that? He says, I'd like to be a digital nomad, you know? And, and so, you know, that type of mentality and, and working and seeing things pay for it, where, you know, you, you provide, you know, I gave him an opportunity. I met him at kind of like a supply rental store and I, I was having an event at my home. And he came and delivered some things and he was telling me about, you know, what his intentions were in going to college. And I had just retired. Well, actually it was before, right? As I was preparing to retire from DHS, uh, I had just a plethora of books of IT books, management leadership, you know, technical books. And I offered him, I said, Hey, I have these books. You know, he, he came and he was looking, he goes, I would love to get some of these books. He took those books. He actually came back four years later in, in telling me how helpful these books were and how helpful it was for him throughout his college college days. And he just wanted to uh, come back and thank me. And, and seeing things like that and working with youth and individuals that you come across, and not only youth, but even the, those professionals in government today. You know, I think there's not a place I've been where where I haven't come across those that really take an interest and in, uh, what you do want, you know, from an executive standpoint is to see those that you help bring up succeed. And because it exhibits good followership at the same time and good leadership and just really paying it forward in, in a lot of regards. 
good to hear, obviously, you're going to stay in the community and, and look at trying to help maybe some of the, the, as you said, not just youth, but some of the professionals in government who would benefit from your 38 plus years in federal service or public sector service. Keith, on that note, let's take a quick break. When we come back, we can continue our conversation. My guest today is Keith Jones, the now former CIO at the State Department. I'm Jason Miller, and you're listening to Ask the CIO on Federal News Network. Welcome back. You're listening to Ask the CIO on Federal News Network. I'm your host, Jason Miller. My guest today is Keith Jones, the now former CIO of the State Department. Keith, I want to go back to something that you said. You mentioned the organizational culture at State was much different than maybe you were used to from coming from DOJ or DHS. Maybe um, there was less bureaucracy, which I find kind of an interesting observation at DOJ or DHS than, than maybe State, if I understood that correctly. But one of the things you said you wanted to try to do is change the culture of IRM. And, and one of the first ways to do that was changing the name. So can you talk a little bit about that reorganization of the IRM branch or, or Bureau and, and, and what's, what's it going to look like, uh, you know, assuming those final few signatures get signed off? When you reflect and look at or even take a look at some of the past org charts for the Bureau, you know, they were highly operational. There was nothing uh, as it related to customer. And, when, and remember when I, you may remember this when I first started, outside of governance and cybersecurity, it was also being very customer-centric. Building and establishing a directorate within the Bureau of uh, Business Solutions Delivery where you have that capability, you have that mission engagement focus. You have those individuals that are very customer-centric focused and you also have an area where you do application development. One of the first org charts they gave me when I first came on showed this new organization. But I said, so, you know, where's the customer in this and where's the application development? Well, application development was just probably, a, if you take, if you take a, probably a four by four square and you, you and cut that into 64 pieces, you know, one of those small pieces would have been application development and customer engagement. And so this new organization changes that mindset. And uh, even when you speak to individuals now, uh, you will see that they engage with a totally different perspective. The customer is in is front and center and it's it's meeting the customer halfway. And when when you need to, you meet the customer right at their doorstep in order to really help facilitate things happening versus playing ping pong. This is what you asked for. This is what what I deliver you. This is what you don't like. This is what, you know, we feel we can change. But really, you know, even when you start thinking about that entire agile philosophy and everything and the partnership and the teaming and the side-by-side nature of getting business done, that's what this new organization is all about. It's, It's less just, you know, we're the ops guys and we just handle ops. No, we actually work with our customers. And I think even from a customer perspective, they would tell you it is not the same organization that it used to be. So it sounds to me like the IRM, not only you said you mentioned about changing the name of the IRM group, right? No one says information resource management anymore. So it sounds like there's a, a new name, right? There's a new name, the Bureau of Diplomatic Technology. Of course, that's another one of those things that requires a signature, you know, and, and that's that's pretty much in flight in our public affairs folks and strategic communications folks, Steve Augustine in particular, have been working hard in getting that done. 
but and all these are like right there at the threshold in order to make happen. And I think there's a lot of positivity and change that coincides with that. And especially from a morale standpoint, just really re-energizing and refocusing the expectations around that. I think it, it will be really, really good. And it's kind of exciting for those leaders that are there. I mean, a lot of them, you know, when I, I had opportunities to hire well, I shouldn't say higher to a point three uh, senior foreign service specialist while I was there, right? And traditionally, within this IRM bureau, it's been a bureau of entitlement. I've sat in this position for X number of years, so therefore I'm deserving. I go sit in a seat. Well, when I placed the new principal deputy CIO, the two deputy CIOs for foreign operations, and the deputy CIO for um, operations, they actually interviewed for the position. And it was a surprise to many that, you know, folks that felt they were moving into the position may not have necessarily moved there. And what I look for are those that were willing and wanting to do and execute and be customer focused and really help drive the mission and what we needed to do. And I see that reflective in the leadership there today. Was there any thought to just calling it the office of the CIO or is that became more complicated? And, you know, I had thoughts about uh, office of the CIO, but I really wanted this to be something that I didn't identify or brand. I wanted this to be uh, something that the leadership team, as well as those across the bureau had a voice in. And so there was uh, a poll out there where individuals actually cast votes or or weighed in on their thoughts on what potential name changes would be. And last September, we, we did this offsite and that came out to be the most uh, dominant uh, name for the new bureau. And, you know, like I tell them, and I'm quick to say all the time, at the end of the day, this isn't my bureau, this is our collective bureau. And we do things as a team versus something that's going to be pushed top down that everyone would potentially just reject. But it, I will say internally, uh, when you look at, when you start breaking down the entire organization, you do have the office of the CIO <laughs> embedded at the top, which is the, the CIO's office. Then you have the rest of the bureau, which is, which is something that, Folks kind of like can't get their arms around because uh, it is a bureau and it's not so much an office like in other departments. Uh, when you really start break, breaking it down, you know, at the, at the same time, the CIO functions as the CIO and also at the assistant secretary level. So, you know, just looking at that dynamic and everything, it all really starts to make sense. So you have a new name, Bureau of Diplomatic Technology. The CIO is going to be part of that office. What are some of the other, if you will, offices, pieces and parts to it. Can you maybe run us through the org chart a little bit more? With the new org, I think the major change is really breaking down two directorates and rebranding those two directorates and adding a third, uh, the third being business solutions delivery directorate, where you have all the mission engagement, application development and platform uh, pla enterprise platform things at an application level, but then you also have the director for platform engineering as well as uh, director for infrastructure 
And then we still have our cyber operations directorate and business management and planning directorate, as well as, you know, you still have the enterprise CISO office, uh, the enterprise architecture office, and uh, the, the office of the CTO that still sits there in the organization. So no changes really, but the major changes there uh, for the Bureau is really breaking up. We had redundant functions in both foreign operations and operations where we found they were competing a lot for the same work and where one would do one way domestically and then another office would do, foreign operations would do something the same way but differently for foreign operations, but really bringing those two collective bodies together and then just taking what's services and infrastructure and taking what's engineering and separating those two will really make things go a lot smoother. So Keith, I know there's been a big challenge over the years for the CIO's office to really kind of corral what's happening overseas and consulates and posts. Is that part of what this railroad is trying to do is, is kind of give these folks a platform, a kind of standard set of enterprise services. And then if they have unique needs, they can handle that, but really bring everyone around into a common set of enterprise services that really will, will satisfy everyone's needs for the, for that, for, for some basic things. Is that, is that your goal? Agreed. For the most part, you know, I, I think when we start looking at the staff across the missions and not so much, you know, you don't find as much in the counselor offices. We work with counselor affairs, you know, really building up that partnership and you know, they have an acting CIO there right now with Jerry Pasquale, who's been doing a great job uh, as a stand in, but working together. And really, I think when you start looking at the application development, the platforms there in order to develop in a safe and secure platform so that we don't have a lot of shadow IT that's really left in this case, going off and creating their own environments, right? Where they know which environment to use and point to, and they're free to develop on leveraging the approved, uh, approved tools and technology in order to get things done. I imagine when you got to state the idea of shadow IT, that was probably something that was surprising to you as, as you kind of started to learn and understand a little bit more about the State Department? Very much so. I, I think even when I first got there, we were at the kind of like beginning aspects of solar winds, dealing with those cybersecurity issues. And then when you start really looking at and trying to strengthen the cyber hygiene, the cyber governance, the IT governance across the department, you start noticing and start asking questions about little things. I think the fact that, you know, you do have certain posts out there that may have some separate infrastructure and you start asking questions about it, do we have a good handle on it, on what's really hitting our network from abroad, whether it's directly sitting on the network or whether it's one of these tertiary connections that's sitting out there that just making sure we have the right tools and protocols in place uh, as as these various missions and uh, posts establish, you know, various, I want to say, technologies and that will help you know, each each country is so different. You know, there, there's limitations that they have. There's things that we can do. There's things that we can't really directly support them on. And so sometimes they're kind of left out there and, and we try and help them as much as we can. But at the same time, we also know, you know, overseas, the, the family is a lot different, right? We're taking on and being a, a family alongside with all the other government agencies 
that may be resident at an embassy. Keith, on that note, let's take a quick break. When we come back, we can continue our conversation. My guest today is Keith Jones, the now former CIO at the State Department. I'm Jason Miller, and you're listening to Ask the CIO on Federal News Network. Welcome back. You're listening to Ask the CIO on Federal News Network. I'm your host, Jason Miller. My guest today is Keith Jones, the now former CIO of the State Department. The other thing you mentioned is the cybersecurity piece and the challenges with diplomatic security and the IRM office and some of those turf wars. I've, I've heard about that over the years, and there's been attempts by CIOs before you and, and even probably you to kind of bring folks closer together. Is that the other part of this reorg with the Bureau of Diplomatic Technology is to I don't know about ending those those differentiated looks at cybersecurity, but at least, hey, let's all maybe try to go down the same road. That road could be eight lane highway, but at least it's the same road versus you're on the highway over there and I'm on the highway over there and, and the two shall never meet. Is, is that the other piece of this? The reorg does not address that. I think just operationally, I mean, you think about the enterprise, the chief information security office that was established uh, and the... I think e-sizzle, that terminology right there, right? No one really uses a term of e-sizzle just to say, well, this is the enterprise sizzle. A department is typically able to identify, this is my CISO, uh, you know, CISO or CISO, and you don't have to say enterprise because it's re- that individual is respected as the enterprise CISO regardless. That position is responsible for the governance uh, across the department and how things take place, how they are coordinated. And at the end of the day, they also are responsible for working back with Congress and the Hill when things come up. You know, it's it's not DS that's front and center at the table when that happens. So I think while the reorg, you know, really helped solidify our structure within our own bureau, uh, in order for the enterprise CISO and or CISO to be effective, you know, is that authority, just like I mentioned er- earlier, that authority has to come along on, alongside with the position, whereas when the enterprise CISO speaks, then that is it, you know, unless there is something that clearly, you know, the secretary's office sees otherwise, it should not be a discussion or a, a long drawn out deliberation in order to make decisions uh, around uh, an event or something uh, of that nature. I get the sense that maybe there was some long drawn out discussions and some deliberations when, when something oh, had to get done or something happened. Absolutely. I, I can recall several occasions, you know, just sitting around a table and going back and forth and just listening. Let me not act like there was this huge turf war, battle war, which I think is just the, it's the tradition of the institution that just gets in the way where you can talk to individuals and they know that cybersecurity should belong in hold under the jurisdiction of the CIO and the chief information security officer. And not only within folks at the State Department and other departments, but you you also hear that from the White House, you'll hear that from NSA, you'll hear that from CISA and others saying this bifurcated nature and how cybersecurity is stitched together operationally at the department has to come to an end. You know, at some point, someone has got to make the call, or I shouldn't say someone, uh, the secretary probably has to make the determination that the entire portfolio of cybersecurity from a governance and operational standpoint 
stands under the jurisdiction of the CIO and the CIO has not only the responsibility, but also the authority for cybersecurity across the Department of State. Well, I, I know a lot of the CIOs over the years have been asking for that, hoping for that and, and attempting it with this enterprise. So, so let's hope that maybe you've set things in motion so folks see the benefit of, of not, they're not giving something up, but they're making it better for the entire organization. Let's, let's hope that that starts to kind of happen a little bit more. Keith, I also want to touch upon some of the, the other successes you've had over, over your time at State. Uh, beyond this reorg, which is a huge thing, uh, can you walk me through maybe a few other projects, programs, initiatives that you're proud of? Let me start by saying, I think from a cybersecurity standpoint, we introduced like really a great level of transparency to senior executives across the department uh, as far as what, what cybersecurity was really like, uh, providing uh, their first, what I call a uh, cybersecurity stand down event, where we met with all, you know, senior executives and senior foreign service uh, executives that seventh floor undersecretaries and all, and just giving them the complete picture of what cybersecurity looked like for the department. Something that, you know, many folks had no idea where you know you have two organizations between IRM and DS fighting a good fight every day, but unless you make your customers aware and provide some level of transparency what's going on, then people continue to do the same kind of thing. And so we brought a great split state of awareness with that. We established the cybersecurity scorecards such that on a quarterly basis, those scorecards are sent out to all the assistant secretaries across the department and they can see what's going well, what's not going well, and you know, give it and they're getting uh they have a letter grade as far as how they're really doing, even down to the post level, which is really helpful for them. Uh also I'll I'll say that when you look at just governance, I talked about governance, the establishing uh CIO IT program reviews where looking at programs and projects to see how they're really how they're really doing instead of continuing to fund 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 program initiatives that you know may be really being bundled making sure that we are doing our due diligence uh to make sure that they're really performing at the pace that they should be performing and meeting deliverables uh against schedule i think the further evangelizing the adoption of agile across the department really especially you know i think uh, in the G area of global talent management, uh, there's uh, the CIO, I should, well, I'll say the CIO, they'll say the TIO, but Don Bauer there, you know, that has done an excellent job and really we've been helping push that evangelism across the entire department of, of how we approach application development uh, alongside with our own uh, application development team. When you look at the establishing department-wide CIO council, not so much a technology council, but a CIO council where there's a greater appreciation with the, at the assistant secretary level where they have representatives, they understand the investments and in what's taking place. Uh, that was something that I was able to get off the ground. I think around workforce, just a lot of effort that I spent on DEIA across uh, the bureau there and really putting in place uh, our first chief uh, diversity, equity and inclusion officer and really putting the money behind there to really get that program up and running and it's it, we've got a lot of gains o over that i mean there's just a plethora of things going on i think 
I probably should make sure I mention what we're doing around recruitment, retention, and really upskilling staff, making sure that we're using the correct recruitment practices and leveraging things that have been put out there by federal IT in order to really bring top-notch individuals uh, into the civil service, something that many weren't familiar with. And, and that, hey, these, these are some of the high, uh, cybersecurity hiring authorities that we have, not just you know, for basic IT folks, but cybersecurity in, you know, incentive pay and broadening that really across the entirety of the department and not just saying, well, this is the little box here within IRM and they say cyber operations and it's only those that sit in operations that can get this. No, it's really broadening that authority such that we have you know, top level professionals and we're recruiting and incentivizing them along the way. And not only broadening for civil servants, but also for foreign service specialists who also are entitled to, to that incentive and, and pay. So really working a lot of different avenues across the organization, across the bureau in order to get things done. And I, I think that there's just so much more that can be done, but you can't focus on everything. So I, I think uh, just given, I, I probably drove the staff nuts sometimes because they said that I would assign something, then they would think I would forget about it. And I come back to them and say, uh, say th three months later and say, hey, where are we with this? And this is my expectation where we should be. And they would all just sit back and grin and say, yep, and here it is. So just kudos to them for really staying on top of things. Keith, on that note, let's take a quick break. When we come back, we can continue our conversation. My guest today is Keith Jones, the now former CIO at the State Department. I'm Jason Miller, and you're listening to Ask the CIO on Federal News Network. Welcome back. You're listening to Ask the CIO on Federal News Network. I'm your host, Jason Miller. My guest today is Keith Jones, the now former CIO of the State Department. You talked about cybersecurity again, so I'm going to go back there again. Um, greater level of transparency, bringing uh, assistant secretaries together, giving them that quarterly scorecard. How did that change the culture a little bit? How did that kind of increase awareness? Not just because they saw we got a B or a C or an A, but because what did it get them to do? Did it get them to fund it better, ask better questions? What were some of those outcomes? First and foremost, it brought a lot more appreciation to what goes on operationally and what we deal with every day as a department uh, in terms of cybersecurity. From a leadership standpoint, it did enable them to ask better questions to their own teams. And because we would list, these are some of the things that we would recommend uh, that you continue to pursue or not do or move forward with, you know, uh, and, and uh, having that dialogue back and forth, uh, you know, not a ping pong dialogue, but a dialogue that was very constructive and really, you know, having folks execute and look forward to the next scorecard. And at the same time, where there are certain things that, you know, sometimes as leaders, we want to see that needle move immediately by the next scorecard. But there's some things where the needle just doesn't move that fast. And, but, and so it really helped, you know, educate them and draw their attention to it. I think one of the things that I didn't mention was we had a history at the department for having ATOs, authority to operate, you know, with system owners sitting there and having expired ATOs. I think the backlog was over 430 plus ATOs when I first got there. But 
knocking down and eliminating that backlog is something that I think the cyber ops team should really be uh, proud of. I actually challenged them uh, on how they would get it done and gave them some pointers and, you know, really said, hey, let's understand exactly where where the hiccups are in the process and let's attack that. And over the last, I want to say uh, over the last year or so, more than a year at this point, uh, they were able to turn that around. And now on average, you may have between 30 and 45 pending ATOs that are just up for renewal versus saying that I don't, I no longer hear systems owners coming or you don't hear them complaining that, well, you know, we've been waiting for our ATO for a year and a half, two years. Establishing a system owner support team, working side by side with system owners to help them through that uh, authorization process really served the department well. And, you know, it really established that culture of change and gave the customer just a greater appreciation for the Bureau. And, you know, if, when you turn and look behind and say, is it the same way when I first walked in? That's one thing that I can smile about and uh, DCIO Al Bowden can smile about, Glenn Miller, Principal Deputy CIO can say, yeah, I was there, we did that. Just uh, a great success story around that. That is super. I know the ATOs is something that a lot of folks love to hate, but it's a necessary thing to do to make sure that your systems are meeting the at least the requirements of FISMA. So it sounds to me like you, you cut down that backlog in a year or, or most of that backlog in a year. And what's left is just some of those that are getting renewal versus having expired ones. Do, do I understand that correctly? That That's absolutely the case, you know, where it's it's about renewals. It's no longer about, oh, this is what we found or this is what's been sitting there and hasn't been addressed. It's, it's now a success story where the, the IG, of course, comes to expects to come to us. And when they came this year, say, well, we want to take a look at the ATOs, but what we want to look at is how successful you were and how you did it. And we talked to them, and one of the things, you know, of course, uh, one is quick to jump on, where did you do it for them? No, it wasn't necessarily doing a forum. It's working side by side with the system owners so that they understand what questions are being asked and that, you know, they can then articulate back exactly where they stand with certain questions because before they would get these questions and they had no one to turn to. So therefore, the process stopped there. Steps, steps two, three, and four, the process would just stop and individuals would say, well, you know, I, no one from, you know, cyber ops, you know, is helping me. And the, the, another part of that, that I think if staying a little longer, I probably would have said, let's take a look at forgetting about sins of the past, but let's take a look at what aspects of that ATO process should we give back to the bureaus, those that do have the capacity and capability to do it. And what are the things that we need to keep here uh, within IRM? Because with it being centralized, any one time, you know, you have lots of ATOs that happen to be monitored and it's all coming to one choke point. Whereas you give that responsibility and then you have your audit team in place such that we are checking ATOs and how they're being approved or whatever else with a certain other uh, process or procedure versus owning the entire body of uh, ATOs. And Keith, it sounds like uh, you gave me a little bit of a heads up of, of what maybe the next CIO should keep in mind. But before I ask that question, 
Uh, I want to go back to one other thing that I think is really important about the, pro- the progress you've made, which is establishing the department-wide CIO council. And you said it's not a technology council. Really, it's, it's, a, it's a much higher level. Talk about that impact and what was the, the hope behind it? And did you achieve kind of that initial goal that you set out? Well, the hope behind the, the council is really to bring forth business decisions uh, as we look to invest in various strategies or adopt various capabilities across the department. You know, the department has a working capital fund as well. It really, is the, it really can help educate and inform at the assistant secretary level, as well as undersecretaries who designate those individuals to sit on the board. Just having that there gives them a co- complete mindset of what strategic direction the Bureau is taking on behalf of the department and also as a form and a place to uh, provide opinions, just having good, rich discussion versus technical discussion, but not a lot of business sense discussions that needs that really needs to take place such that we are not doing things in a vacuum within our own bureau. Because a lot of times you can adopt the technology and you find out downstream that this department wasn't ready and everyone wasn't on board with that. Bringing it back in, having you know the individuals at the table and and matter of fact the co-chair of the uh council is uh cfo uh doug pickin where he volunteered to co-chair the council with me such that that really helped balance you know it's not it's i didn't want it to be all about the cio it's all about the business and the cio and getting things done for the department Keith, I've really much enjoyed our conversation, and it's it's great to finally catch up with you because it feels like there's a lot of work you did over the last uh, 18 months or so. Before I let you go, what's the one or two things that if you left a note in your desk before you walked out for the last time for the next CIO, what's on their to-do list? What recommendation would you have for them? I did leave the acting CIO a note. I won't say exactly what it said, but I did, I did leave a, a nice note for him. Um, but I, I say, you know, you... As CIO, it's a, don't come in and sit on the throne. You know, the staff respects the position in all regards. And as a matter of fact, it's a a position that individuals take very seriously there, the entire staff. But communicate with the team, stay engaged with the team, focus, of course, still on the cybersecurity aspects of the department, if the reorg has not been finalized, really taking, getting a really good solid brief on that. And, you know, there's a lot of great leaders there. Have fun with the position. Enjoy the folks, enjoy the opportunity because it's, it's just a great department at the end of the day. A lot of people want to do great work and they do great work and we should appreciate it. All right, Keith, I know we could talk longer, but we are out of time for today. So let me thank my guest. Keith Jones is the now former Chief Information Officer at the State Department. Keith, thank you so much for your time today. And, of course, thank you for the service to the country. And it was great to catch up. Thank you, Jason. I'm Jason Miller, and you've been listening to Ask the CIO on Federal News Network. You've been listening to Ask the Chief Information Officer on Federal News Network. Tune in Thursday mornings at 10 or subscribe to this show on iTunes or Podcast One.